began our study of the book of Thessalonians, looking at the background, focusing primarily on verse 1, and answering the who, what, when, where, why questions, uh, so that we can understand uh, where we're at in history and, and what's going on in the life of the church. And this week we're going to jump into verses 2 through 10. Verses 2 through 10. So Paul normally starts out most letters with a little bit of thanksgiving. And, and normally that's, you know, three to five verses. But in this book, it's the first three chapters. There, there is a lot of thankfulness that Paul has for this church. And, and we're going to see this morning that he's going to heap a lot of praise on this church. And so the way I want to look at this this morning and kind of break it down this morning is looking at the five properties of a praiseworthy church that we see in this first chapter. He's going to continue on in praise, um, but, but in this chapter, I want to at least look at five kind of key things that I think jump out to us from the text in verses 2 through 10. And we'll just kind of work our way through uh, reading them as we go. So what is the first thing that is praiseworthy about a church? Well, I think the first thing that we see is that a praiseworthy church is involved in prayer. That that, that is an essential aspect of a praiseworthy church. There, there has to be this commitment to stirring people to pray. It, it's really an essential trait that, that without it, I'm not sure much else can follow. And, and God established prayer as a means through which he blesses and moves on behalf of his people. And so we see Paul praying here in verse 2. We give thanks to God, right? He's praying to God, thanking God always for all of you, consistently mentioning you in our prayers. The same word consistently he's going to use later when he says pray unceasingly, right? This, this idea of just ongoing prayer, ongoing communication with the Father. I think of verses like Matthew 21, 22, where he says, And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Or John fifteen seven, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask and you and ye will or excuse me, and it shall be done for you. So why is a, a praying church so praiseworthy? Well, it's impossible to have a relationship without talking to someone, right? You, you can know all about people, right? You can read books about them. You, you can, you know, watch videos of them, but that doesn't mean you have a relationship with them. The, the essential thing to develop a relationship with someone is communication, talking to them, right? And, and so that's what prayer is at its heart. It's communing with God himself. It's talking with him, sharing your desires, sharing your fears, sharing your hopes and your expectations. That, that's what builds a relationship. The same is true with us individually as, as church members. If, if we're not talking and communicating with one another, it's going to be very hard for us to have any kind of deep, meaningful relationship. And so it's essential, I think, for us to see that a praiseworthy church is one that is praying and praying, as Paul will tell us later, 
unceasingly. It, it, it is a continual activity that we are involved in. Prayer requires our presence. It requires our presence and sharing our hearts. And, and this is something, you know, I think sometimes in churches, um, you know, there's this idea of the rote repetition and, and that's, that's prayer. But, but really when you look at what the New Testament talks about prayer, it's, it's, a, it's a communing with him. It's a spending time with him. Being present with him, turning off your TV, your devices, your all the distractions of this world, and just spending time with your heavenly father. The same way you would spend time with your father, right? For that relationship to be deep, you both can't be sitting there on your phones or, or watching television, right? You, you've got to be talking and communicating with one another. Don't get me wrong. There's times in which silence is okay. And, and just sitting quietly with your father. But, but to have a relationship, it requires communication. It requires praying. And so a praiseworthy church encourages people to pray. Sadly, so few people nowadays take prayer seriously. It's if it's anything, it's just something to check off of a box and to move on to the next thing. But note that Paul gives thanks to God always for the Thessalonian church. The second thing we see in verse three, remembering before our God and father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing we see is a praiseworthy church is a church of creators and not consumers. Now, when I say that, I think for some of you, you have a very, you know, limited idea of what it means to be a creator. But when we are creators, we we are imaging the God who made us, who is the ultimate creator. And, And each of us, if we are believers are the image of God, and we should be creating like him. Now, again, I think for some of us, when you hear me say that, you go, Dale, wait a minute. I'm reading this verse, and you're saying we need to be creators. What what in the world are you talking about? Because when we tend to think of creators, we might think of somebody who makes art or music. And we say, okay, that's a creative type of person. But being a creator is so much more. We need to broaden our definition and understanding of creator. For example, some of you create safe environments for our kids. Like Kate, Penny, Amber, Dana, Angie. Back in the girls' room. David, TJ, Bob, Johnny. Back in the boys' room. Right? They're they're creating a safe space where those kids can learn about Jesus. That's being a creator. That, That is the work of ministry. Some of you create meals when, when people are sick or they're grieving or they're celebrating. And some of you are gifted in creating wonderful dishes and, and coming alongside and celebrating or mourning with those who are weeping, you're weeping. And with those who are celebrating, you're celebrating. Creating spaces to feel open enough to share and be vulnerable. Like the Galleries and the Mears and the Beaten Balls and the Odins and the Normans and the Clarks and the Pieces and the Breedens. I was making that list and I was like, man, that's a long list. 
Every week, opening up their house, creating spaces for people to come and learn more about Jesus. Some of you create hospitality. You, you just open up your homes and invite people over. Some of you actually create homes, like Bradley. You're, you're building a space for a family to live in. Some of you create wholeness, like Al or David or TJ, where you go and you fix broken things and you, you bring them back to a state of wholeness. See, a strong church is a church that's stirred up to work and to create. And that's, that's a, a praiseworthy church. Paul's saying, look, I, I am praising God, remembering before God, Father, your work of faith, right? The, the things that you are doing, those things didn't exist before the church existed in Thessalonians. That wasn't happening. But now because there's a church of God, you are imaging your creator and you're creating these works of faith. I think he tells us three ways in which we become creators in this text. The first is faith. Faith makes us creators. It it stirs up the church to work. When we truly believe in Jesus Christ and we're stirred to work and serve the Lord Jesus. The same is true for a body of believers. A strong, the stronger the belief of the people in Christ, the stronger they will work for the Lord. But conversely, the weaker the belief of the people, the more they will be like consumers instead of creators. Constantly wanting to be fed rather than making the meal themselves. A strong faith activates it. It energizes us to the work of ministry. It motivates us to carry out the mission of Christ. I'm reminded of James in chapter 2, verses 14 and 17. What good is it, my brothers, if some say that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him if, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food? And one of you says to him, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's dead. The second way we become creators is love. Love is what empowers our creative labor to create all of these ministries and works of labor in our community. The word labor here means toil. And specifically toil to the point of exhaustion. When we truly love Christ, we are driven to relentlessly labor for Christ. The only thing that can motivate us day in and day out to labor like that is love. When we realize how much Jesus loves us. And when we realize just how far we fall short. We fall so short of that love. And yet he extends that love to us. Jesus went to the cross in an act of love to take the punishment that we deserved. Oh, what kind of love? That's the only kind of thing that can motivate us day in and day out to keep going. John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another 
just as I have loved you. Notice the order there. He loved us first. So now we are to go in love. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Later on in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to read this. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. As we do for you. The final way we become creators is hope. He says there in the last part of that verse, hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically hope in the Lord Jesus Christ is is what stirs the church to endure in its work and labor. The word steadfastness there, it can also mean endurance. Maybe some of your translations say patience or perseverance. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know he will deliver us. He will guide us. He will provide for us. He will strengthen us. He will sustain us. And ultimately, he will bless us. Listen to what he says in these verses. Colossians 1.5 Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before the word of the truth. The gospel. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable. Undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. See, our, our hope is not just hopefulness. Our hope is, it, it, it's anchored in the, in the future, in a guarantee. That, that is where our hope is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And because of that hope, we are driven to endure. And in the case of the Thessalonians, even amongst persecution, they were continuing to create the work of ministry, serving their community. So much so that the word is getting out to everyone. So a praiseworthy church is a church that prays and a church that creates. But notice in verses four through seven, a praiseworthy church is also a chosen church. Paul says in verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So we we see here that that they are chosen. And and that word there means selected by God. Right? That that these believers were selected by him. And that, that means two things. Believers are chosen by God to be his beloved people. God has called believers out of the world and away from the old life which the world had offered them. The old life of sin and death. And he is calling them to something new. A verse many of you will probably be familiar of. And you may see even held up on a sign later this afternoon. 
in a football game. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For whatever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He has called believers to be set apart to himself and the new life that he offers, a new life of righteousness that he gives us. Not that we earn, not that we perform, but that he gives us. And the offer of eternity with him. The second, believers are chosen to be beloved brothers. We're, we're called to hold one another ever so closely to our hearts. And, and to count one another more precious and deeply loved. Romans 12.10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Notice in these verses the example Paul sets as they follow even after, the, the example that they follow even after he has left. Paul lived what he preached he lived a life that was completely surrendered to Christ. He, he lived a life that was uh, moved and, and, and had its being in Christ. Walking and living ever so closely with him. Assurance and, and confidence comes from disobedience. Knowing that, that we're doing what we are, we're, we're supposed to be doing. It, it comes from knowing that we are pleasing God. When we do what is pleasing to God, then we know that his presence and power will be upon us. And that was, that was Paul's secret. Paul's secret was obedience. That the obedience is what gave him the assurance. O obedience is the secret to the presence and power of God upon our lives and our preaching or our evangelism. Obedience is a secret to bearing fruit. See, Paul obeyed God. Therefore, Paul was convinced that his preaching would be in power and in the Holy Spirit. A couple of things to take away from that of being God's chosen people. First, the, the proof that a church is truly chosen by God is that the members act like the beloved people of God. And second, that members treat each other as beloved brothers. The second thing that I think we can take away from being a chosen church and, and what Paul is saying here is that people can reveal that they are not chosen in the church by acting like they are not the beloved of God. By living in sin and shame and worldliness and greed. By treating one another as anything but beloved brothers. By being critical and divisive. Prideful and arrogant, angry and hurtful, envious and prejudiced, superior and super spiritual. All of these things reveal that one may not be as chosen as they think. The next mark or property of a praiseworthy church we see in verse 8. It's a witnessing church. 
And this is a striking point. This, this young church, if you remember from last week, and for those of you who weren't here, they, they only had three weeks with Paul. They only had three weeks to get all of the essential information needed for discipleship. And yet we find this church of relatively what we would say immature believers witnessing and sharing their faith, right? So many people are like, well, I'll evangelize once I know more. I'll, I'll share the gospel once I know more about the Bible. I'll, I'll share more once I know about more about theology. Now, these young believers took what they had and shared it as wide as they could. There was an excitement to them about their testimony and it spread all over the world, Paul says. He says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Now, when Rome had conquered Greece, it it divided the country into two separate providence. The, The northern one was Macedonia, the southern one being Achaia. And Paul's clearly saying that the testimony of this church has spread all over Greece. Both northern and southern Greece. And he adds, not only that, but your faith has spread out beyond the borders of Greece. This means all over the world. And remember, like I told you last week, Thessalonica, or Thessalonica was a, a, a common commercial hub for, for major trading that was happening in the region. Right? So people are coming in and they're sharing the gospel. And that trader then goes to the next city and he's sharing what he heard. And because of their central location, because of their merchants who were also going out and trading in other areas, the gospel began to spread far beyond its borders. Just imagine the the witnessing the church and its believers must have been doing day by day. Their excitement, their enthusiasm for Christ and the opposition and the persecution against them must have been the talk of the city, right? Because most people, when they get persecuted, shut up. (laughs) They learn to stop talking, right? When, When a person hits you, you stop talking. But they keep, they keep sharing the gospel. They keep sharing the good news despite the persecution, despite people saying, I'm not going to do business with you Christians. We don't care. We're going to trust God and keep sharing our faith. It's amazing what the difference a small group of believers that are committed to the work of evangelism can make. Even in a time back then with no or very little technology. Right? They, they didn't have the means in which we have today. It, it's been amazing to me. And, and I'm, I'm thankful that, that God has given me the opportunity to go and, and preach the gospel in places like Kenya and Guatemala and Wales personally. But because of the faithfulness of this church, that's enabled me and empowered me to be able to go and serve and, and teach groups of pastors. And that's, that's, that's a privilege. And I, and I don't take that lightly. And I, I, I appreciate that. But one of the things that amazes me about how God uses this, this little body of believers, this little family of God, is every once in a while I go and I look at the analytics of both our podcast, of the sermons, and, and our videos. 
And I don't do it often, but I, I went back for the sermon and I looked and, and I was amazed by a couple of things. One, I was amazed because we, our, our sermons have been downloaded over 12,000 times. That's not bad for a little tiny church in the middle of nowhere, right? But then I was even more amazed because I thought, okay, well, yeah, that's Lake City. That's going to be a bunch of people in Lake City. 37 different states in the United States have downloaded sermons. 37 different states. And again, while the bulk of our listeners are inside of the United States, they've been downloaded in the following countries. The United Kingdom. Romania, the United Arab Emirates, Germany, Russia, Canada, Japan, South Africa, Philippines, Brazil, Norway, New Zealand, India, Malaysia, South Korea, Kenya, Italy, Bahamas, Ireland, Hong Kong, France, Spain, Switzerland, Singapore, Australia, Turkey, Jamaica, Poland, Ghana, Uganda, Barbados, Brazil, and Sweden. That's 34 different countries. One day, I I look forward to some of you getting to the new heaven and the new earth, and you're running into someone from one of these other countries that you've never met that heard the gospel because of your faithfulness. It's mind-blowing to think of how God can use a small group of people committed to sharing the good news of the gospel. And we live in an age today where it's even easier than ever before possible. So the fourth property of a praiseworthy church is a a church that is evangelizing. Finally, the the fifth property of a praiseworthy church, we see in verses 9 and 10, they are a repenting church. For they themselves report concerning us of the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turn to God from idols To serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who delivers us. From the wrath to come. A praiseworthy church here. Is one that has turned to God. From idols. Repentance is a big. Long fancy religious word. That just means to turn from one direction. To the other. And in the case of this church, is to turn to God from idols. Remember that Paul, again, had been forced to flee from Thessalonica for his life. It's a fun word. The only way he knew how the young church and its believers were holding up was by Timothy coming and telling him. And it thrilled his heart when he heard what had happened in their faith. That the believers were not only standing fast in the gospel, but that they were preaching the gospel themselves. And there were, there were three things that stood out to him about their testimony. One, the believers had turned from, <clears throat> excuse me, to God from idols. Now one commentator pointed out that, that they turned to God from idols, not from idols, to God. They didn't seek to clean up their lives by themselves. They didn't try to reform themselves by turning away from idols and then turning to God. They turned to God first. 
Then, with God's help and strength, they repented and turned away from the idols. There's there's an importance in the way in which that process happens there. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Right? Repentance is turning to God, folks. Some of you are here and you're struggling with various kinds of sins. I want to encourage you, if you're a believer, the repentance is turning to God and asking Him for the help to overcome the sin that you're struggling with. Right? Because in this case, they're worshiping idols and they would have had various idols and various temples in which they would have gone and worshiped. And, and we're too sophisticated for that now. Right? We, we don't have all these statues around that we go bow down to. But we do bow down to idols every day. They just look different. And we need to repent the same way they need to repent and turn back to God. And then let God empower us to turn away from those idols day in and day out. The second thing we see here is the believers had turned to God because of the promise of Christ's return. It was God's son who was returning to earth. The person who had died for them so that they might be acceptable to God and live with them forever. You see, they, they believe with all of their hearts that they were going to live with God forever. That, that is where their hope was planted. And, and that was the foundation. The, the reason that they were waiting was they were waiting on the return of Christ. And it's interesting here, the word wait is in the present tense. It means the hope for the return of Christ was alive. It, it was something that was active in their life every day. They expected Christ to return at any moment. They were eagerly looking forward to that. They had a daily expectation of Christ's return. Note one other important fact. How how do we know that Christ is going to return to earth and take believers to live with God forever? It's just because God raised up Christ from the dead. By resurrecting Christ, God proved that he is the God of all power. God proved that he has the power to raise the dead. God proved that he is going to do just as Christ taught, which is raise all men, some to eternal life and some to eternal death, being eternally separated from God. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The last thing we see is the believers had turned to God to escape the wrath of God. You see, there's, there's a day of wrath coming. It has to come because the world in which we live in is corrupted. E- even the rocks are crying and groaning and looking forward to that day when all things will be made right. The rebellion will be put down for good. The world we live in is already condemned. And the day of wrath is already set. But this is the glorious news of the gospel. That we can be delivered from that wrath to come. And the word delivered means rescued. Some of your translation may even say that. Use that word rescued instead of delivered. To to deliver us right out of the wrath. 
The picture is that God is, is lifting us up out of that wrath to come. This morning, God wants to deliver you from this wrath. You're here this morning because he wants you to hear this message. He wants you to repent and to turn to him. And when we do that, he empowers you to be the person that he wants you to be. When we do that as a body, we become the church that's praiseworthy, that he wants us to be. It's my hope and prayer this morning that each and every one of you have turned to him. Away from your sin. And, and accepted the free gift that he offers through his son, Jesus Christ. And some of you this morning, you, you've done that. But as you're sitting here and you're listening, there, there's some things that you're worshiping more than God. That's the definition of an idol. And idols don't have to be bad things. They can be good things. Some of you may have elevated your family to a place that's above your worship of God. Would you repent and turn back to God this morning? And allow him to put your family in the proper priority, in the proper place in your life. God wants us to be a praiseworthy church. But for that to happen, each and every one of us have to be praiseworthy Christians. And I hope and I pray this morning as you read these couple of chapters in 1 Thessalonians and you see the, the praise that is being offered, that you understand that all of that praise is only possible because of what God has done for you and for us as his chosen people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, for giving us an example, for showing us what it looks like to be a church that is praiseworthy. And Father, we just, I, I pray that you would examine our hearts this morning, that your Holy Spirit would convict us. If there are places in which we are holding on to and, and worshiping things more than we are worshiping you, God, that we would repent of those things this morning. And that we wouldn't just turn away from those things, but we would turn to you this morning so that your Holy Spirit could empower us to then turn away from whatever that is in our lives. And Father, help us to be a people of praise. We have so much to be thankful for, Lord. We've been given so much. Father, I just ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.